Rocky Mountain National. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for August 27th, 2022 Saturday reading of the Arapaho County News. My name is Pablo. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. Aurora icon and former mayor Paul Torrer dies at 86. Written by the Sentinel staff. With more sizzling summers, Colorado changes how heat advisories are issued. Written by Markian Harluck, Kaiser Health News. Jurinsky, other parents sue Arapahoe County, alleging social services rife with misconduct. Written by Karina Julig and Max Levy. Aurora installs 30 new pallet shelters for homeless campers hit by sweeps. Written by Max Levy. And following up with miscellaneous articles. Aurora icon and former mayor Paul Tower dies at 86. By the Sentinel staff, August 26, 2022. Aurora. Longtime Aurora Mayor Paul E. Tower died this week. He was 86. Tower was an iconic and perennial force in the city for decades. A Denver Public Schools teacher for 30 years, he was elected to the Aurora City Council in 1979 and served until he was elected mayor in 1987. He served three terms as mayor through 2003, leaving after being term limited. Tower was born in 1935. He graduated from Regis University in Denver in 1961 and received his master's degree in education administration from the University of Northern Colorado in 1964. He took a hiatus from his studies at Regis to join the Air Force for four years. Tower sat on or was leading the city council as Denver's Lowry Air Force Base closed as well as the decommissioning of Fitzsimmons Army Post. Throughout his long political career as a Republican, he was virtually the face of Aurora for years on local and regional media. He notably and visibly battled Denver to address noise from Stapleton International Airport, often publicly sparring with Denver officials. The Stapleton landing pattern covered much of Aurora at the time. Tower was also heavily involved in regional transportation issues and was on the city council as a lawmaker or as a mayor during much of Aurora's expansion. Quote, Paul Tower was a champion for Aurora and a pillar of our history, serving as mayor for 16 years and overseeing an era of tremendous business, residential, and cultural growth, unquote, said Aurora Mayor Mike Kaufman in a statement. Quote, he was instrumental in the transformation of the former Fitzsimmons Army Medical Center into the Anschutz Medical Campus, establishing Aurora as home to one of the nation's largest and most respected medical communities. We offer our condolences to the Tower family and our thanks for his service, leadership, and advocacy for Aurora. Unquote. Tower and his wife, Kate, were also instrumental in creating support organizations for Aurora's growing Asian American and Pacific Islander community. 
In 2004, Colorado Congressman Bob Balprez honored Paul and Kate Tower for being a model family and parents. Quote, I am pleased to announce that Paul and Kate Tower of Aurora, Colorado, were recipients of the 2004 National Excellence in Parenting Award presented by the National Parents' Day Council, unquote, what Perez said from the House floor. Quote, the Towers have served on countless committees and participate in a myriad of volunteer endeavors. Together, they started the Aurora Asian Pacific Partnership and both serve on the Mental Health Center Board. They are distinguished citizens, activists, and parents. There is no higher or more honorable calling. Unquote. Tower was a fixture in the local Catholic community, attending St. Pius X Church in North Aurora. His son, Ed Tower, also was elected to the city council and eventually elected mayor, taking the gavel from his father, Paul, at the end of his tenure in 2003. Tower is survived by his wife, Kate, children, Eugene, Roque, Paul E. Jr., Andrew, Tammy, Catherine, Timothy, Ed, and 13 grandchildren. Services are planned for September 1st at St. Pius X Catholic Church. Details are pending. With more sizzling summers, Colorado changes how heat advisories are issued. By Markian Haraluk, Kaiser Health News, August 26, 2022. For all the images of ski resorts and snow-capped peaks, Colorado is experiencing shorter winters and hotter summers that are increasingly putting people at risk for heat-related illnesses. Yet until this year, the National Weather Service hadn't issued a heat advisory for the Denver metropolitan area in 13 years. That's because the heat index commonly used by the Weather Service to gauge the health risks of hot weather relies on temperature and humidity. Colorado's climate is so dry that reaching the thresholds for that kind of heat advisory is nearly impossible. But this year, the National Weather Service in Colorado adopted a prototype heat warming index, known as heat risk, that is used in California and other parts of the western U.S. and relies on local climate data to determine how much hotter than normal the temperature will be and what the hazards could be to people. The result is a more defined standard for warning people about heat and a higher likelihood that an advisory will be issued in Denver and other areas of the state. Since adopting the heat risk index at the start of the year, the Weather Service has issued five heat advisories for the northeastern part of the state. Quote, we have never been able to issue them based on the old ways of looking at heat impact, unquote, said Paul Schlater, Sciences and Operations Officer with the National Weather Service in Boulder. Quote, now with heat risk, it's much easier. It shows up really nicely and gets to the real impact for Colorado. Unquote. On July 18th, for example, Denver had a high temperature of 100 degrees and a relative humidity of 13%. That put the traditional heat index at 94 degrees, below the threshold for a heat advisory, Schlater said.
but the heat was high enough under the new system to issue a heat advisory. The Weather Service has three tiers of alerts about weather, advisories, watches, and warnings. But the Denver region hasn't reached the most severe tiers. Still, even the heat advisories are crucial for public health. In Denver, a heat advisory triggers the opening of cooling centers and alerts residents to avoid exertion during the hottest parts of the day. Quote, if you look back before 2010, Denver would average less than one day per summer of 100 degrees or more, unquote, said Greg Thomas, director of the Environmental Quality Division of the Denver Department of Public Health and Environment. Quote, now it seems we're in that handful of days at or above 100. It's in line with what the projections have been saying for climate change with hotter and drier summers, unquote. Denver has had four triple-digit temperature days so far in 2022. The record was set in 2012 when the city had 13. The Boulder Weather Service Office started evaluating the heat risk index three years ago and found that emergency room admissions for heat-related illnesses tended to increase on the same days that the index indicated high risk. However, that data may underestimate the true health impact of extreme temperatures because heat can exacerbate other conditions, such as kidney disease or diabetes, that aren't counted in heat illness numbers. And research has shown that mental health conditions can flare during hot weather. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, heat leads to more than 67,000 emergency room visits, 9,000 hospitalizations, and 700 deaths each year in the U.S. Extreme heat kills more Americans than any other type of weather hazard. Quote, People see heat as more of a nuisance, unquote, said Kimberly McMahone, Public Weather Service's program manager for the National Weather Service. Quote, the biggest challenge, no matter what index we're using, is having people recognize that heat is dangerous and can lead to death, unquote. The heat risk index got its start in 2013 when the California Office of Emergency Services approached the National Weather Service's Western Region Headquarters about providing a more consistent heat advisory tool than the heat index. The heat index criteria for issuing an advisory was lower in Northern California and in the mountains than in Southern California. State officials were looking for a simpler system they could use for the entire state. After the initial heat risk index was tested in California, it was adopted by the rest of the western regions in 2017. Colorado is in the Weather Service's central region. After Weather Service officials in Boulder learned of the new index in 2019, they contacted the other Colorado Weather Service offices in Grand Junction and Pueblo and they all agreed to use the heat risk index for issuing weather advisories starting this year. McMahone stressed that the heat index is just one way of evaluating extreme heat and that weather service offices in the western region and Colorado can use a combination of heat risk, the traditional heat index, and maximum temperature to determine when to issue an advisory.
The heat index was developed in 1979 by Robert Stedman, a physicist working in the textile industry, to measure how hot it feels when both temperature and humidity are high. Recent research from the University of California, Berkeley, suggests that the traditional heat index may underestimate the health risks of extreme temperatures by as much as 20 degrees. David Ramps, a Berkeley professor of Earth and Planetary Science who conducted the research along with graduate student Yai Chuan Lu, said they mapped the heat index to people's physiological states and found skin blood flow so elevated at extreme temperatures that their bodies were nearly unable to compensate. Once the skin temperature rises to equal the body's core temperature of 98.6 degrees, the core temperature begins to increase. The maximum survivable core temperature is thought to be 107 degrees. Quote, so we're closer to the edge than we thought we were before, unquote, Rams said. The researchers tweaked the formula of the traditional heat index and then applied that fix to past heat waves. They found, for example, that during a July 1995 heat wave in Chicago, which killed at least 465 people, the National Weather Service had reported the heat index as high as 135 degrees when the temperature really felt like 154 degrees. Rams said he has sent the research to the Weather Service. The heat risk index aims to show how much hotter than normal the temperature is. For example, it accounts for whether a hot day occurs early in the summer, before people have gotten used to the heat, and for consecutive days of hot weather. The thresholds for a heat advisory using the heat risk index are higher in midsummer than in May or September. Heat risk also factors in whether nighttime temperatures drop below 70 degrees, giving people and buildings a chance to cool off. Most of Colorado rarely has nights in which temperatures stay above 70. Such factors are combined to determine a heat risk index score from 0 to 4, matched with a color scale from green to magenta. A score of 3 would trigger an advisory and 4 a heat warning. A healthy person may be fine when the heat risk is in the yellow zone, but older people, young children, and pregnant women may want to take precautions. Also, some medications can affect people's ability to regulate their body temperature, putting them at a higher risk, even at lower risk thresholds. It's then up to local health jurisdictions to determine how to react to the Weather Service's heat notices. Despite the warming trend, a 2 degree Fahrenheit increase in average Colorado temperatures over the past 30 years, most counties in the state lack extreme heat mitigation plans. When Grace Hood joined the Boulder County Public Health Department as a public health planner in October, she was tasked with putting together an extreme heat advisory plan. She presented the plan to the County Board of Health on June 13th, just three days before the Weather Service issued its first heat advisory for Boulder since 2008. Quote, holy cow, unquote, she thought. Quote, here we go, unquote. Boulder has had four heat advisories this summer. When public health officials tracked who showed up in the emergency room with heat-related illnesses on those days, two groups stood out. 
older people, and outdoor athletes. The health department then worked with the Parks and Recreation Department to identify trails with high sun exposure and posted extreme heat safety information at trailheads. Denver public health officials only recently adopted an extreme heat plan. It includes advising people to go to cooling locations, mainly recreation centers and libraries, if they lack air conditioning at home. According to Denver public health officials, about 75% of the city's housing was built before 1980 when summers weren't as hot. An estimated 30% to 40% of homes lack air conditioning. The National Weather Service is collecting feedback on the heat risk prototype, taking public comments through September 30th. Quote, so far, I would call it a win, unquote, Schlater said. Quote, we just have a better understanding of which days are really going to be the problem days for the health department folks to focus on. Jurinsky, other parents sue Arapahoe County, alleging social services rife with misconduct. By Karina Gelig and Max Levy, Sentinel Staff Writers, August 25th, 2022. Aurora. After reportedly becoming the target of falsified child abuse claims by a former Arapahoe County Department of Human Services employee, Aurora Councilmember Danielle Jarinski is spearheading a class action lawsuit against the department as a whole. Quote, what happened to me was not an isolated incident, unquote. Jarinski said at a news conference Thursday, the day after the lawsuit was announced. She said that she had initially planned on filing a lawsuit in an individual capacity, but after hearing from many other people with similar experiences with the Arapahoe County DHS, she and her lawyers decided to expand it into a class action suit. Drensky was joined by her lawyer, Elliot Singer, and was flanked by more than half a dozen other women involved in the class action suit. One woman held up a photo of the stepson she had been separated from while others held back tears as Jurinsky spoke. Ruchi Kapoor of Kapoor Law and Policy was also present at the conference to discuss a suit she is bringing on behalf of clients Kamal and Karima Laguini in federal court. The Laguinis alleged that then Arapahoe County DHS caseworker Robin Nisida mismanaged an investigation into reports of abuse against their daughter, which led to the girl being removed from the home for a year. Kapoor is also working as one of Jurinsky's lawyers. She spoke at a news conference in May when criminal charges were first brought against Nasida. Quote, I told you then this was a systemic issue. Standing behind me is proof that this is something that has been a continuously egregious constitutional violation from the Department of Human Services, unquote. She said Thursday, referring to the class action plaintiffs. Luke Hedelstad, a spokesman for Arapahoe County, wrote in an email that the county was, quote, equally appalled and concerned as our community is about the alleged criminal actions of Robin Nasida, unquote. Quote, we have not yet had a chance to review all of the allegations in the recently filed complaints, but point out that many of them draw conclusions without citing factual specifics, unquote. He said, quote, 
We are not aware of any evidence of widespread misconduct by the caseworkers and other professionals within the Arapahoe County Human Services Department, despite what is alleged in the complaints. Unquote. Nasida was the partner of then-Aurora Police Chief Vanessa Wilson and an employee of the Arapahoe County Department of Human Services when she allegedly called the county anonymously to report that Jarensky had sexually abused her own son. Attorneys for Wilson said that Nasida and Wilson have since separated. The child abuse report was made the day after Jarensky appeared on a conservative regional talk radio program criticizing the chief and referring to her as, quote, trash, unquote. Investigators eventually determined that the allegations of child abuse against Jurinsky were unfounded, according to an arrest affidavit. They traced the phone call to the county back to Nasida after discovering that her phone number matched the number of the anonymous tipster and in light of evidence on Nasida's cell phone and county-issued laptop. Nasida has been charged with retaliation against an elected official, a sixth-degree felony, and making a false report of child abuse as a mandatory reporter, a second-degree misdemeanor. Her next court date is August 29th. On Wednesday, Jurinsky alleged a broader pattern of misconduct in a class-action lawsuit against Nasida, the County Human Services Department, the manager of the Division of Child and Adult Protection Services, Michelle Dasse, and the Board of County Commissioners. Her lawsuit on behalf of, quote, all children, parents, and caretakers who have had their constitutional rights violated in the course of an Arapahoe County Department of Human Services, Division of Child and Adult Protective Services investigation, unquote accuses Nasida of a litany of misconduct during her time as a county employee, including submitting false abuse and neglect complaints and other false information to separate children from their parents, taking on cases that she had a personal stake in, accessing the details of cases that she was not assigned to influence their outcomes, conspiring with or pressuring other county employees to give false testimony, attempting to, quote, engage in sexual relations with parents and caretakers, unquote, who were under investigation, including by offering them alcohol at her home and then retaliating when those people refused. Nasida's lawyers did not immediately return requests for comment. Dasse and the county were further accused of selectively considering and not sufficiently vetting evidence related to child abuse complaints, illegally seeking protection orders against parents and caretakers, and otherwise acting unethically to remove children from their care. The lawsuit alleges the behavior, quote, occurred over the course of many years, unquote, impacting, quote, dozens, if not hundreds or more, of Arapahoe County families, unquote. Quote, defendants have not only violated the United States Constitution and federal law in doing so, but have also, through their actions in basically separating or attempting to separate children from their parents or caretakers, caused unspeakable trauma to so many individuals in Arapahoe County, 
including both children and their parents or other caretakers alike, unquote. The complaint reads, quote, Defendants' activities and conduct in the course of these investigations and, on occasion, separating families flagrantly violates state and federal law, including the United States Constitution and its guarantees of equal protection and due process under the law, unquote. Singer said that over 40 people are currently involved in the class action lawsuit, but believes that more may come forward once the news of the suit spreads. Jarinsky said Nasida was involved in about 75% of the cases of people in the lawsuit, but believes the issues with the department are systemic and go beyond one individual employee. Quote, I think there's a gross failure to supervise, unquote, she said. Heidelstad later wrote that there are, quote, many checks and balances, unquote, that the county uses to weed out false allegations of abuse, including evaluation by, quote, multiple layers of human services, educational, medical, mental health, and legal professionals, unquote. He said that disputes that arise during investigations may be heard in court, that parties have the opportunity to appeal, and that the process of reviewing complaints about closed cases is defined by the state. He also said the state is investigating the CETA's past work with the county at the county's request. Jurinsky called on politicians at the state and federal level to impose more oversight on the child welfare system and said that the problem is not a partisan issue. Quote, this issue crosses all party lines, unquote, Jurinsky said. Quote, we are parents, and this should not happen to any parent or any child in this country, in this state, in this country or the world, period. And this is going to end now. Robin Nisida, you picked a fight with the wrong person, unquote. Aurora installs 30 new pallet shelters for homeless campers hit by sweeps by Max Levy, Sentinel Staff Writer, August 26, 2022. Aurora. More temporary housing for Aurora's homeless population was completed at two Salvation Army sites this week, offering a shot at stability for some of those displaced during homeless camp sweeps. The 30 new pallet shelters, individual prefabricated housing units measuring 8 feet by 8 feet, are being reserved specifically to those impacted by sweeps. The shelters will be able to accommodate a relatively small number of the city's 600-plus homeless residents and only a fraction of those on the wait list for the pallet shelters set up earlier this year and last year though the waitlist for the new units will be managed separately. Sponsors of the shelters say they're an island of stability, where people can feel comfortable getting their feet underneath them before moving on to permanent housing. Quote, a good portion of the folks we've been talking to have been really excited about it and have already expressed interest in wanting to come and stay at these pallet shelters. Unquote said Emma Knight, the manager of Aurora's Homelessness Division, during a tour of some of the new shelters on Friday. City council members who argued for stepping up sweeps earlier this year said a camping ban would help push the homeless toward established shelter and resources. 
while the ban on homeless camping went into effect in mid-May and dozens of campsites have been swept since then, just three people have accepted the city's offer of shelter at Committee's Crisis Center, according to city spokesman Michael Brannon. Bob Dorshimer, CEO of the organization that runs Comitas, has also said that displaced campers are simply setting up camp in other areas of the city, rather than moving on to neighboring cities or finding permanent housing. At the same time, Salvation Army Program Manager Emily Fuller said the waitlist for pallet shelters has swelled under the ban, from 86 people in late April to 167 as of Friday. Quote, we definitely saw our waitlist go up pretty exponentially, unquote, said Austin Foote with the Salvation Army, adding that many homeless people find, quote, very little privacy and dignity, unquote, in group shelter, which is the only kind of shelter offered to swept campers through Comitus. Josh Kearns, public relations manager for the company that makes the small, prefabricated housing units, said they've also seen demand increase as more cities adopt camping bans. Quote, and if you're going to do that, where are those people going to go? Unquote, he asked. Quote, the problem is, so many people don't want to come into congregate shelter, I would argue, for understandable reasons. You have no privacy, you have to leave every night, you can't have a dog, you can't have your family, zero possessions. And so what's evolving is this sort of transitional model, unquote. Salvation Army manages close to 100 pallet shelters in Aurora, split between its warehouse on Peoria Street and Restoration Christian Ministries on East 6th Avenue. A resident of the pallet shelters at Restoration Christian Ministries since March, Tim Mackey, said the stability and help offered through the program were essential to him securing a housing voucher. After three years of living on the streets in Colorado, Mackay hopes to move into an apartment in a matter of weeks. Quote, it was a really good invitation to come out here, to have a chance to get a little bit of whatever serenity or whatever peace of mind I could have, unquote, he said. This has given me the hope that when I do get into my apartment, I will already be geared because I've had the ability to be out here, unquote. In January, city staffers reported that the average stay at Salvation Army's Peoria Street community was 80 to 90 days, with more than 1 in 4 finding employment during that time and 1 in 10 exiting into permanent housing. Unlike the other pallet shelters, an individual's stay in the 30 new shelters will be limited to one week or up to one month if that person is engaging with outreach workers, Knight said. Knight also said the city hopes the new shelters will be a more attractive shelter option than Comitas. She mentioned Salvation Army's waitlist as proof of the level of interest in the tiny shelters, which can accommodate individuals or couples. She also said a significant number of homeless campers contacted by the city had expressed interest in staying in a pallet shelter. Quote, definitely more than three people, unquote, she said. Quote, I think having the pallet shelters will really open up a space that a lot of people want to come to. Unquote.
Montessori School of Aurora to Close After Two Decades of Operation by Karina Julig, Sentinel Staff Freighter, August 23, 2022 Aurora All good things must come to an end, even preschools. Friday will be the last day in operation for the Montessori School of Aurora, which will then be closing its doors and selling off all its materials. It's a bittersweet decision for owners Lori and Joe Contreras, who have operated the family-run business for 27 years. Quote, it's been very challenging, but extremely rewarding, unquote, Joe said. Previously a high school counselor, Lori Contreras discovered the Montessori philosophy when she put her own children in early childhood care and quickly fell in love with its emphasis on hands-on learning and creativity. She and her husband decided to start their own Montessori school and in 1995 opened the school on Smoky Hill Road with just one class. In the ensuing two decades, it grew to six classes of students from one year old through kindergarten, serving 140 students at its peak. It was the first Montessori school to open in Aurora, Lori said and the family prided itself on their unique ethos and the fun events they would have every year, including holiday parties, a kindergarten graduation, and a yearly cultural dinner where families would dress up and bring foods from their various backgrounds. The school was hit hard by the pandemic, and after reopening following quarantine, the school was down to just 10 children. It followed all the necessary protocols, masking, no parents inside the building for over two years, and eventually regained most of its student population. But the couple has made the decision that it's time for them to retire and so for the school to close. Quote, we're pretty sad, but we're also excited for the next adventure in our life, unquote, Lori said. The couple's children, Dustin Contreras and Rachel Perez, both went through Montessori education as children, or in Perez's case, from, quote, 18 months to age 34, unquote, she joked. Perez got her bachelor's degree in education and became qualified as a Montessori director and now teaches at the school herself. Many of the school's staff members became like family as well, teaching for upwards of 10 or 20 years and putting their own children in the program. While Lori and Rachel taught, Joe was in charge of the business end of operations and of building maintenance. Dustin said that some of his own favorite memories involved getting up early to help his dad with odd jobs around the school, such as shoveling snow and changing the lights. Quote, helping him are my main memories of the place, unquote, Dustin said. Joe said that family-run ethos is what made the school so special. Quote, everything in this entire school I've had my hands on. Unquote, he said. He built most of the furniture himself, and when the school was first opening, he kept all of the books himself by hand, writing on a piece of paper. Quote, we knew we were going to start it not for the money, but to have a say-so in the care and nurturing of children, unquote, Joe said of what motivated them. Quote, that's been our whole goal the entire way. We started off doing things very simply, and we've never lost a sight of that, unquote. The school will be selling all of its materials, including furniture, books, art supplies, and Montessori-specific curriculum 
at a sale this Saturday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. at its building on 18585 East Smoky Hill Road. The family wants as much of it as possible to be able to go to another good home, but sorting through 27 years worth of materials in preparation for the sale has been emotional. Quote, I was going through my classroom and I was like, I need to keep this rock this kid gave me this one year. It's hard to weed through everything, unquote, Perez said. Lori and Joe said they plan to spend more time with their grandchildren in retirement, including Perez's one-month-old daughter, Viviana. For her part, Perez will soon start teaching at a Montessori school in Lone Tree, the same place that she was a student when she was young and where her mom first got interested in Montessori. Quote, it's kind of fun to see things come full circle, unquote. Perez said. Immersive Dali Exhibit Announced at Stanley Marketplace by Kara Mason, Sentinel Managing Editor, August 25th, 2022. Aurora. Famous Spanish surrealist Salvador Dali will come alive this fall in Aurora. Stanley Marketplace will host an immersive exhibit called Dali Alive of the artist who is known for his vibrant works that explored the human psyche. Among Daly's most recognizable work is, quote, the persistence of memory, unquote, an early 20th century painting depicting melting clocks. The exhibit is a multi-sensory production that, quote, will provide visitors with the sensation of stepping into the life of Salvador Dali himself and feeling the power of his imagination, unquote. The creators, who also produced Van Gogh Alive, say, quote, We could not be more excited to collaborate with the esteemed Dali Museum to create Dali Alive and bring the world premiere to the people of Colorado, unquote. Bruce Peterson executive chairman and founder of Grand Experiences, said in an announcement of the exhibit, quote, visitors will enjoy the unique opportunity to dive deep into the imaginative world of Salvador Dali and immerse themselves in his beautiful, iconic, and captivating art as we bring it to life. In my opinion, if Salvador Dali were alive today, he would be creating art in this exciting new age digital medium, unquote. Dali, while a recognizable painter, also completed works in other mediums, such as sculpture, printmaking, and even filmmaking, alongside Luis Buñuel and Alfred Hitchcock. Tickets for the exhibit are on sale now at theloom.com, T-H-E-L-U-M-E.com, which opens to the public October 21st. Colorado Democrats Call for New National Monument in Rockies by Nicholas Riccardi Associated Press, August 26, 2022. Denver Top Colorado Democrats on Friday asked President Joe Biden to declare a new national monument in the heart of their state's Rocky Mountains. In a letter to Biden, the state's two Democratic senators, Democratic governor and Democratic congressman, who represents the area asked for Biden to create a Camp Hill Continental Divide National Monument. The preserve would be centered on Camp Hill outside of Vail, 
where the legendary 10th Mountain Division trained for Alpine warfare during World War II. Many of the soldiers returned to Colorado to play a pivotal role in founding the state's ski industry. Quote, the history of this area, including the role that it played in preparing the 10th Mountain Division for some of the most difficult moments of World War II, makes it the ideal candidate for a national monument designation. Unquote, wrote Senators Michael Bennett, John Hickenlooper, Governor Jared Polis, and Representative Joe Neguse. Presidents can unilaterally create national monuments, preserving in perpetuity land they find to be scenically or historically significant. Biden has created no national monuments yet in his term, but moved to restore land President Donald Trump trimmed from two in southern Utah. Monuments can be controversial, especially in the West, when they impede energy or other types of development or lock up lands that ranchers and farmers counted on using. Preserving Camp Hill was part of a large conservation bill known as the CORE Act that has been stalled in Congress for several years. Many Colorado Republicans object to the legislation, arguing it's a federal land grab that would bar development of critical mineral and energy resources. The Democrats' letter acknowledges the act is stalled and asks Biden to designate his first national monument instead. The monument would include an unspecified amount of the surrounding 10-mile range. The letter also asks for Biden to use his executive power to preserve a natural, gas-rich chunk of western Colorado landscape, known as the Thompson Divide, from energy exploration and increase restrictions on exploration and extraction in national forests in other western parts of the state. Quote, By taking these steps, you will be making sure that even more of Colorado's open spaces will be preserved for future generations. Unquote, the Democrats wrote. Republican Representative Lauren Boebert, whose western Colorado district would be home to most of the new limits on energy exploration under the proposal, said she didn't back additional preservation for Camp Hill. Quote, I don't support the efforts of extremist environmentalists who are seeking to hijack this historic place to create a new land designation, unquote, Borbert said in a statement. FBI Trump Mixed Top Secret Docs with Magazines, Other Items by Eric Tucker, Associated Press, August 26, 2022 Washington 14 of the 15 boxes recovered from former President Donald Trump's Florida estate early this year contained classified documents, many of them top secret, mixed in with miscellaneous newspapers, magazines, and personal correspondence, according to an FBI affidavit released Friday. No space at Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate was authorized for the storage of classified material, according to the court papers, which laid out the FBI's rationale for searching the property this month, including, quote, probable cause to believe that evidence of obstruction will be found, unquote. The 32-page affidavit, heavily redacted to protect the safety of witnesses and law enforcement officials and, quote, the integrity of the ongoing investigation, unquote, offers the most detailed description to date of the government records being stored at Mar-a-Lago long after Trump left the White House. 
It also reveals the gravity of the government's concerns that the documents were there illegally. The document makes clear how the haphazard retention of top-secret government records and the apparent failure to safeguard them despite months of entreaties from U.S. officials has exposed Trump to fresh legal peril just as he lays the groundwork for another potential presidential run in 2024. Quote, the government is conducting a criminal investigation concerning the improper removal and storage of classified information in unauthorized spaces as well as the unlawful concealment or removal of government records, unquote, an FBI agent wrote on the first page of the affidavit. Documents previously made public show that federal agents are investigating potential violations of multiple federal laws, including one that governs gathering, transmitting, or losing defense information under the Espionage Act. The other statutes address the concealment, mutilation, or removal of records and the destruction, alteration, or falsification of records in federal investigations. Trump has long insisted, despite clear evidence to the contrary, that he fully cooperated with government officials, and he has rallied Republicans behind him by painting the search as a politically motivated witch hunt intended to damage his re-election prospects. He repeated that refrain on his social media site Friday, saying he and his representatives had had a close working relationship with the FBI and, quote, gave them much, unquote. The affidavit does not provide new details about 11 sets of classified records recovered during the August 8th search at Mar-a-Lago, but instead concerns a separate batch of 15 boxes that the National Archives and Records Administration retrieved from the home in January. The archives sent the matter to the Justice Department, indicating in its referral that a review showed, quote, a lot, unquote, of classified materials, the affidavit says. The affidavit made the case to a judge that a search of Mar-a-Lago was necessary due to the highly sensitive material found in those 15 boxes. Of 184 documents with classification markings, 25 were at the top secret level, the affidavit says. Some had special markings suggesting they included information from highly sensitive human sources or the collection of electronic, quote, signals, unquote authorized by a special intelligence court, and some of those classified records were mixed with other documents, including newspapers, magazines, and miscellaneous printouts, the affidavit says, citing a letter from the archives. Douglas London, a former senior CIA officer and author of, quote, The Recruiter, unquote, said this showed Trump's lack of respect for controls, quote, one of the rules of classified is you don't mix classified and unclassified so there's no mistakes or accidents, unquote, he said. The affidavit shows how agents were authorized to search a large swath of Mar-a-Lago, including Trump's official post-presidential, quote, 45 office, unquote, storage rooms, and all other areas in which boxes or documents could be stored. They did not propose searching areas of the property used or rented by Mar-a-Lago members, such as private guest suites. The FBI submitted the affidavit, or sworn statement, to a judge so it could obtain the warrant to search Trump's property. Affidavits typically contain vital information about an investigation, 
with agents spelling out the justification for why they want to search a particular location and why they believe they're likely to find evidence of a potential crime there. The documents routinely remain sealed during pending investigations, but in an acknowledgement of the extraordinary public interest in the investigation, U.S. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt on Thursday ordered the department by Friday to make public a redacted version of the affidavit. In a separate document unsealed Friday, Justice Department officials said it was necessary to redact some information to, quote, protect the safety and privacy of a significant number of civilian witnesses, in addition to law enforcement personnel, as well as to protect the integrity of the ongoing investigation, unquote. The second half of the affidavit is almost entirely redacted, making it impossible to discern the scope of the investigation or where it might be headed. It does not reveal which individuals might be under investigation and it does not resolve core questions, such as why top-secret documents were taken to Mar-a-Lago after the president's term despite even though classified information requires special storage. Trump's Republican allies in Congress were largely silent Friday as the affidavit emerged, another sign of the GOP's reluctance to publicly part ways with the former president, whose grip on the party remains strong during the midterm election season. Both parties have demanded more information about the search, with lawmakers seeking briefings from the Justice Department and FBI once Congress returns from summer recess. Though Trump's spokesman derided the investigation as, quote, all politics, unquote, the affidavit makes clear the FBI search was hardly the first time federal law enforcement had expressed concerns about the records. The Justice Department's top counterintelligence official, for instance, visited Mar-a-Lago last spring to assess how the documents were being stored. The affidavit includes excerpts from a January 8th letter in which a Justice Department official reminded a Trump lawyer that Mar-a-Lago did not include a secure location authorized to hold classified records. The official requested that the room at the estate where the documents had been stored be secured and that the boxes that were moved from the White House to Mar-a-Lago, quote, be preserved in that room in their current condition until further notice, unquote. The back and forth culminated in the August 8th search in which agents retrieved 11 sets of classified records. The document unsealed Friday also offered insight into arguments the Trump legal team is expected to make. It includes a letter from Trump lawyer M. Evan Corsorin in which he asserts that a president has quote, absolute authority, unquote, to declassify documents and that, quote, presidential actions involving classified documents are not subject to criminal sanction, unquote. Mark Zaid, a longtime national security lawyer who has criticized Trump for his handling of classified information, said the letter was, quote, blatantly wrong, unquote, to assert Trump could declassify, quote, anything and everything, unquote. Quote, there are some legal, technical defenses as to certain provisions of the Espionage Act whether it would apply to the president, unquote, Zaid said. Quote, but some of those provisions make no distinction that would raise a defense, unquote. In addition, 
The affidavit includes a footnote from the FBI agent who wrote it, observing that one of the laws that may have been violated doesn't even use the term, quote, classified information, unquote, but instead criminalizes the unlawful retention of national defense information. Trial on hold for Colorado Springs woman charged in stepson's death by the Associated Press, August 26, 2022. Colorado Springs Attorneys for a Colorado woman accused of killing her 11-year-old stepson in 2020 have requested a second evaluation of her mental health after the judge in the case received a state evaluation. Atisha Stotch has pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity in the death of Gannon Stotch. Fourth Judicial District Judge Gregory Warner set a September 15th hearing after defense attorneys challenged the state report and requested that Stotch be evaluated again by defense-appointed psychiatrists, the Gazette reported. The report on the sanity evaluation at the Colorado Mental Health Institute at Pueblo wasn't released. Prosecutors last year presented alleged evidence linking Stotch to the January 2020 murder. They said that investigators found Gannon's blood on Stotch's shoe, found her DNA on a gun linked to his death, and learned that she traveled to the Florida Panhandle shortly after he disappeared. The child's remains were found there in March 2020, authorities have said. Defense attorneys had sought to create doubt that Stotch committed the murder by suggesting someone else could have entered their Colorado Springs home around the time Gannon died. Stotch is charged with first-degree murder, child abuse resulting in death, tampering with a deceased human body, and tampering with physical evidence. Lane closures on Smoky Hill expected for next two months. By Karina Julig, Sentinel Staff Writer, August 22, 2022. Aurora. Starting Monday, East Smoky Hill Road will have left lane closures going onto South Buckley Road for upwards of the next two months due to road construction, according to the city of Aurora. Quote, Smoky Hill at Buckley will have left lane closures onto Buckley in both directions beginning August 22nd for 75 days, unquote. The city said in a social media post, quote, no left turns will be allowed, unquote. The post also said that the left through lanes will be closed during the day. Signed detours will be in place and motorists should expect delays or plan to use alternate routes. Thank you for joining us for the Arapahoe County News. My name is Pablo. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.